the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to the middle of another week and another episode of Football Social Daily. Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays for the time being before the big kickoff of the new Premier League campaign on the 6th of August where we'll be back to our daily dosage. Hit subscribe and that way you won't miss anything. Today on the show, it's transfers, transfers, transfers. After a slow start to the summer window, it looks like we're beginning to hit rush hour. Ins and outs right across the Premier League, but it's been mainly outs at Old Trafford so far. Could that change by the end of this week? As long-reported target Frankie de Jong is allegedly close to signing for the club and his old boss, Ten Hag, is de Jong the first of many in what could be a Dutch revolution this summer. More on that shortly. Plus, Chelsea's new owners haven't been shy in getting to work. Changes behind the scenes at the club in recent weeks, but also a no-holds-barred approach in the transfer market. We've heard about their interest in Raheem Sterling, but now it's Leeds man Rafinha who could be swapping West Yorkshire for West London. But is it the Whites or the Blues who are getting the better deal? And from one Brazilian to another who could potentially be swapping white shirts for blue shirts, Richarlison is said to want out of Everton with Conte Spurs a touted destination. All of that amongst a load more on today's episode of Football Social Daily. Thanks for joining us. My name's Niall. And to churn through all of that with me, a warm welcome back to the podcast to Joel Tudor, fresh from Croatia, or not so fresh as the case may be. Morning, Joel. How was it? <laughs> I'm back by popular demand, but my throat doesn't say it at the moment. Um, yeah, it was great, but I think I was ready to come back. You know, you're just absolutely finished and your legs are gone <laughs> yeah. and your throat's gone. That's me at the moment. I'm just, I feel like a corpse at the moment. So, yeah, I'm back. Well, you get to come back and talk about Manchester United's transfer business or lack thereof. So, welcome back. I'm sure you enjoy it. Uh, and it's also a warm welcome in spirit, but maybe not so much in the weather because I know what it's like up where he is. Steve McNaughton's here, who I think somewhere in the Lancashire foothills right now, I think. Am I right there, Steve? <laughs> yeah, up here in the valley. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a grim day. It's uh, very grey. There's loads of black crows flying around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the cemetery there, Steve. I mean, there's, a, there's a priest walking yeah, around shouting things Dr. to Mask people. Walking past uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly things are a lot brighter when it comes to Steve's club, Liverpool, and their transfer business. There is an outgoing from Anfield, which we'll discuss later on, but it is their bitterest rivals, Manchester United. Joel's team, who we're going to start with, as they are supposedly close to a £56 million fee for the Barcelona midfielder Frankie de Jong. And they're also targeting Feyenoord's defender uh, Malasia. And let's start with de Jong first, because that's been on the cards for a while, Joel. It feels like we've been speaking about this ever since the season has ended. A former uh, Tenag player at Ajax made the move to Barcelona a few years ago. We know Barcelona needs some cash. There's been talks of a, a fee being agreed over the last few weeks. It looks like we're finally close to that point. As I say, it's been on the table for a while. Midfield is a, a huge factor in Manchester United's rebuild. I think even if Ten Hag wasn't the manager, they'd probably need a new midfield. So if he does come in, which is looking like it is the case, how much of a difference, how big a difference could he make? Yeah, I think this is the signing that is the one, you know, the absolute fundamental one which cannot go amiss for Ten Hag. I think that's the reason why... The negotiations have gone on for such a long amount of time now. I think at the start of when the whole rumours came around, I think it may have been around end of May time, I think every single United fan, including myself, just thought it was going to be the exact same scenario as how we saw with Fabregas and Bale and Tony Crows and all these plays where 
it just seemed like there were rumor yeah. after rumor after rumor, but there was just no spark. There was no substance to any of the. Wesley Snyder's flight into Manchester Airport still yeah, delayed. It's, it's still the in the skies, apparently. Um, <laughs> but this one, this one, I, I really did feel like it was going to be the same, just because, as I think most people know, Frankie De Jong's always said he's at his dream club. Um, Barcelona paid a hell of a lot of money to get him out of Ajax after that 2019 campaign. And it just felt to me like it was kind of pushing against the wind with it. I didn't really see how it would come off. But now it seems as though he's finally getting somewhere. And I'm I'm genuinely shocked, to be honest. It feels as though United have approached it in the right way rather than paying exactly what Barcelona wanted at the start of the window, which I think it was around £85 million in total, which probably would have taken the whole transfer budget and it seems as though right now there's not a massive amount of budget to play with so they had to kind of work around the the numbers a little bit more than they've had to in previous summers but I think this one was just an absolute non-negotiable where Ten Hag probably said I can't afford for you to buy my second third fourth choice targets in centre mid because as we've seen with his Ajax side they are probably the most fundamental part of his team's in terms of his engine and ball control. And I think Frankie de Jong's probably top three in terms of that. I think the only two that kind of contend with him are the likes of Nico Barella and maybe Marco Verratti in terms of just being able to control him in field with such ease. Um, and I just feel as though de Jong is a great challenge for him. He's going to be the focal point of midfield. Whereas in Barcelona, he doesn't necessarily play in his most favourite position, position as Busquets kind of is the, the guy for Barcelona still there. Um, but yeah, I think it was it, it was so important to get over this over the line. I still hope it does. I still have that little jittering cynicalness in the back of my mind thinking everything's going to kind of go uh, completely the wrong way. But yeah, I think this was the signing that had to be done no matter what. Yeah, it looks like that's going to be a done deal before too long, possibly by the end of the week, I think, or maybe early next week. I was actually in Barcelona at the weekend, funnily enough, and spoke to a few Barca fans and they don't seem devastated that De Jong has left obviously there's this disappointment when any player of, of a decent quality leaves but is there a concern Steve from what we've seen from the likes of Donny van der Beek who signed for Manchester United uh, last season or a couple of seasons ago it never really worked out and there's hopes for him that with Tenar coming in they can get the best out of him but are there any kind of I don't know kickbacks from that van der Beek move that make people possibly think oh well maybe De Jong isn't going to be a fit for the Premier League either I think Frankie De Jong is a really good player I think he you know he's he's, he's you know, excellent caliber of player I think that my my honest opinion is I think he needs he needs good players around him I don't think he can he can do it all on his own and I don't think United are a blessed in midfield with you know fantastic midfielders that can play around him at the minute, and that's my only concern because what what even though you know Joel's made some great points there about him, uh, and and we all know of his quality, uh, but Frankie De Jong isn't going to score a lot of goals for you. You know he's I think he's his best season to date so far is three goals and three assists in in La Liga for Barcelona across thirty two games, so he's not going to come in and weigh in with a load of goals. And I think that um, he'll get United playing, but I think he will need players around him for for the machine to kick in and and be successful. But he's he's a good start. I think you know we talked about budget. I'm led to believe that he's got 100 million to spend this this summer. So he spent 70 on it in these two on the two Dutch lads, hasn't he? And um, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out because the he, he won't have played in anywhere like the Premier League before. Uh, it's you know as soon as you've got the likes of. 
Golo Kante or you've got a Fabinho or you know charging in and as soon as the ball lands at your feet, I think he's um, he's going to find it you know quite a, a period of adaptation in the Premier League. But great signing for United. Um, I think that um, he's exactly what they need. But they need to strengthen around him. That's the only caveat I put him. Mm, yeah, certainly midfield, I think, is the key area that Manchester United need to strengthen. It looks like they will be signing Frankie de Jong from Barcelona for £56 million. There's another Dutch player who could also be arriving at Old Trafford, and that is Tyrell Malasia. He's a left-back. He plays for Feyenoord. His value is around £15 million. Is it a case, Joel, that Manchester United need full-backs that Ten Hag can trust to play his way? He would have seen a lot of Malasia having obviously been managing against Feyenoord a number of times and being a manager in the Dutch league with Ajax. He will know this player's credentials and his um, attributes. Obviously, United have had issues with fullback in the last few years. I mean, Dallow's okay. Wambasaka, they paid £50 million for, but he's not really the progressive modern fullback. Certainly very good at 1v1 defending a lot of the time, but not someone who can bomb on and put crosses in. So in terms of what United need to implement this Tenag style that we're expecting to see next season is a fullback and one in the form of Malasia something that you welcome well he just took his first training session and I don't know if that was the case of him looking at Shaw and Williams and thinking oh my god I need a new fullback now um, <laughs> probably will be the case because you know they worked great last season wait until he sees Tellers as well then he's going to really have a shock but um, I think I, well, to be honest, I don't know much about him. The only time I've ever seen him was in the Euro, uh, Conference League final against Roma, where he put in a decent performance. Um, the only reason why I'm kind of confused is how they've hijacked the deal. The only reason I can kind of suggest for that is that they've not wanted to overpay for him and start negotiating with Feyenoord straight away. Uh, so they've kind of known the ballpark figure as Leon already agreed a fee with them. I think it was for around 13 million euros. And then they kind of just kind of said, well, we'll give you two three million euros more and then we'll take him I don't know if that's a negotiation tactic or it was the fact of them thinking last minute oh we actually really want this guy um, and there's not many alternatives around but yeah I definitely think especially when you look at fullbacks for us last season there was just zero coming from the from those positions I mean when you look at Liverpool and you have majority of the output coming from the wing backs and then you look at United and there's absolutely nothing coming from them it's a it's a problem because in every title win inside or in every challenge inside you look at City as well Cancelo and Walker you know you've got goals and assists coming out of the ears for them and then when you look at our fullbacks and you have Juan Bissaka who barely gets an assist the season you got Shaw who's in and out Tellers in and out it's a major, major problem for this United side. And I think those positions may only get addressed in one, two, three summers because it's, it's difficult. This It's like playing surgery with this United side at the moment and trying to prioritise which organs are going to be dealt with first and then the next time which other organs are going to be dealt with and what's going to cause the most problems should you deal with them. I feel like that's just the, the approach they have to take. You can't deal with, deal with it all in one, uh, one transfer window, unfortunately. I think the wing-back situation is huge because it has been such an issue defensively, especially for you know the centre-backs having to deal with issues and um, mistakes coming from those positions. So I think he looks promising. I don't think everyone should expect too many incredible things from him straight away because he does look like a very, very raw talent You know, coming from the Dutch league, as we've known for the past seasons it's not an easy adaptation period it's a, probably a shock to the system for a lot of these players 
Uh, but I do trust the fact that Ten Hag's seen him a lot while he was playing with Ajax, uh, obviously playing against Feyenoord, who are one of their main rivals in the Dutch league. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see how he beds in, but I'm glad that we've just managed to sign someone because the fullbacks that we currently have are just not up to scratch at all, to be honest. So it's, it's a good start, um, but I think they're just trying to mould the budget a little bit and trying to understand what exactly they're working with and they can't exactly go and pay you know, 50 million for a fullback because it's just not the case at the moment. Yeah, and I know what you're saying. Like Steve says, if this £100 million budget is what it is, then I think that with Christian Eriksen's deal on the table as well, and that being a free transfer, maybe that is why that they're looking at someone like Eriksen and why this is a, a decent deal because we know that Leon were interested in this Malaysia and so Manchester United have kind of moved quickly to, to bat off interest there. But that being said, De Jong and Malaysia, Steve, they're both Dutch, Ten Hag's Dutch. Other Dutchmen have been linked with a move to Old Trafford in the last few weeks. We thought there might be some sort of Dutch revolution. Is that how it feels from the outside? I'm not sure. I think that uh, the two lads that they brought and I think the fullback is is an interesting one because I, I'd never heard of him until yesterday. So I've had to, you know, Google his stats this morning and see uh, how he, you know, how he stacks up. But I think that um, the first part of call for Ten Hag will be to go where he, where he knows uh, and where his team of people are very, you know, comfortable in. And that's, that is the area of easy. Um, you know, it is a, it is a decent league. Um, you know, it's probably the, you know, I'll probably put it uh, slightly ahead of Ligue 1 in France in terms of, you know, competitiveness. Um, but I think that, you know, he'll go where he knows and he's just trying to spot a bargain at the minute, isn't he? And I think, you know, if when the 100 million budget, even though United have spent an absolute fortune and I water in summer money in the last, you know, decade, it's 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 one of them where he has got to kind of be a bit shrewd, really. And you're hoping with, with the likes of Malaysia that um, he has that impact that some of the other budget fullbacks that have come into the league, you know, have had, you know, the likes of your Tarek Lamptey's, your, you know, your Andy Robertson's of this world, um, you know, who've come in on very low money and, and made a huge impact. So I think he's probably going to be looking at them players and, and saying, you know, Cucciarella as well, obviously is another Brighton player who come in on, um, uh, you know, for a, a modest money in this day and age. So I think that he'll probably be trying to kind of replicate the success players like that have had. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, 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 we'll see what happens with it. I think, you know, in terms of a Dutch revolu- revolution, I'm not convinced just yet. Maybe if he signs three or four Dutch players, then we'll have the conversation again. But um, I think he's got I think he's got his, his hands full. Um, you know, I think the job is considerably bigger than probably what he expected and what he was pitched when they had the meetings for it. But he's a very good manager. And if he's given the time, I'm pretty sure he can sort it out. Yeah, not a revolution at this point in time, says Steve, but certainly changes taking place at Manchester United and so too at Chelsea as well. Lots of changes behind the scenes, whether that's, you know, Petr Cech moving away from his role, Marina Granovskaya, two people behind the scenes that have moved on. But in terms of players, they've been pretty ruthless in who they're targeting and their latest target is Leeds United's Rafinha. We'll talk about that potential deal next after this. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. We're going to talk Chelsea now. And Rafinha, the Leeds forward, is close to joining the Blues in a £65 million deal. First of all, let's look at the Leeds perspective before we come on to Chelsea's approach. Phillips and Rafinha gone in one summer window, Steve, following a season where they narrowly avoided relegation. That seems like quite choppy waters when it comes to having to rebuild for Jesse Marsh. What do you make of that? Oh, I think it's a disaster for Leeds United. I think that I'm surprised that Calvin Phillips is going out of the two of them. I'll come on to Rafinha in a second because I thought he was Leeds through and through. I think he'd said in the past, oh, his grandma would kill him if he left Leeds, you know, and stuff like that. Um, so he's the one that I was most surprised about, even though he had his suitors. Uh, he'll be a big miss for them. Uh, I think Rafinha is is going to be another humongous miss for them. You know, he's, he's, I mean, if you take last season, for example, 11 goals, three assists, you know, it's a very good return from a, from a winger uh, that... And they will miss his goals. They'll miss his energy that he brings. They'll miss the flair that he brings. And you're thinking, how can Leeds, even though they're going to have a considerably, considerable amount of money, what's it, 110 million between the two players or something like that? You know, you're thinking, can they get players of that caliber in in them positions? And and I'm not sure they can for that money. And I think it's as Leeds escaped on the last day by beating Brentford away. I think it's a real concern for them and their fans at the minute because. You know, once you've sold your arguably two biggest players in the team, you know, does that show the right level of ambition to potential players that he's trying to convince to join the club and join the cause under under Jesse Marsh? Um, I, I I'm not sure. I think it's I think it's a bad situation, and I, I think this puts Leeds probably as the firm favourites to go down first next season. I think it's a really interesting summer window this for Leeds United. They sacked Bielsa, which was controversial at the time. Jesse Marsh comes in, keeps them up by the skin of their teeth. Obviously, Phillips didn't have a great season last season, spent most of it injured. Rafinha, really important to Leeds United going forward. And and they've sold both of them, or at least that's the way it looks like it's going. And as Steve rightly says, how are they going to use that money? And how are they going to find a, the next Phillips, the next Rafinha to come and join a Leeds United side who struggled last season? Big club in this country, no doubt about it, but it's not going to be easy to fill the shoes of particularly someone like Phillips, as Steve says. Let's move on to Rafinha, though, who looks like he's going to Chelsea. Chelsea's owner, Todd Bowley, we said on Monday, we're not sure who's pulling the strings behind the scenes at Chelsea. It looks like it's him. It looks like he's just taking a hands-on approach and he's just pulling all the strings now. He's Like I said a minute ago, he's got rid of Czech, he's got rid of Gran of Sky, I think Bruce, Bruce Buck has gone as well. All of these behind-the-scenes figures. And he's just going in all guns a-blazing. He's trying to sign Sterling, he's trying to sign Matisse de Ligt from Juventus. And now Rafinha looks like he's on his way to Stamford Bridge. In terms of the options that Chelsea have got, Joel, particularly out wide, which is where Rafinha prefers to play for Leeds, is he better than the options that Chelsea have already got? I'm thinking Werner, Ziyech and Havertz. Is Rafinha an upgrade on on any of those three players, do you think? I think you'd have to say by far when you look at the output that the other two have given them. I mean, Ziyech has barely made a massive impact since he's, he signed from Ajax for a pretty big fee as well same with Werner he was an absolute machine in the Bundesliga with Leipzig and he just can't seem to find his shooting feet at the moment um, I feel as though with this Todd Bowley kind of strategy he's probably looked at the books from last season looked at Lukaku's 100 million transfer and now he's going out for 8 million euros on a loan and thinking I can't trust these people to manage my money the way in which I want to do it. And he's probably thought, right, I'm bringing in my people 
who understand maybe the windows a little bit better, know how to manage money a little bit better, because he wants a return at the end of the day. He doesn't yeah. want his money being squandered left, right, and centre. Well, do, do you know what? Just sorry to cut you off there, but on the Lukaku thing, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking of it in a more rounder context of Chelsea have signed this player for £97.5 million, and they've loaned him out for £7 million. And my maths isn't great, but I worked that out as £90.5 million loss that Chelsea have made. Plus his £12 million uh, salary last year. Yeah, but I was also thinking, well, actually, if Abramovich was the one that paid for that deal, Todd Bowley and Chelsea have actually lost nothing. They've actually, they've actually gained £7 million from the loan fee. I think- so I'm not actually sure how it works behind the scenes, but I guess everything that was done sort of in the Abramovich era, it does feel like a line has been drawn under. And I don't know whether that debt that Chelsea had or, or the money that Chelsea paid for Lukaku has now been written off because Abramovich is out of the picture and this new guy's kind of come in with a fresh slate and he doesn't have to worry about any of that historical debt. I haven't read into the Chelsea case, I must be honest, but I just found that really interesting because I just don't see how a new owner would come in having already lost nearly £100 million on a sign-in and just say, right, you're out the door and we're still going to spend another 65 and we're still going to spend another 65 again on Sterling. I just think it's really interesting. But then it's not even just Lukaku though, is it? It's a lot of players who've not who've failed to make an impact. Werner was £60 million, Zayich was £40 million. There's probably a number of players uh, in that Chelsea mm, squad. Kepa. Yeah, yeah, he's a massive one. And then he's probably looked at who are the people involved in all of these transfers and he's got rid of all of them. I think he just wants a new regime under him. He doesn't want anything to do with the previous one, like you say. Um, and I think he's showing now where he's literally going for players. I don't think him personally. I'm, I'm sure you know he's not like the most in tune with European football, but he's got advisors around him now where he wants guaranteed players who are going to make an impact straight away. Raheem Sterling's one of them. He's been an amazing player for City over the last five, six years. Rafinha... I'm still quite baffled at how you can get 120 million for two players from a relegate, nearly relegated side. I feel like the Premier League's the only league in the world where that would ever, ever happen. Um, it's very true. It, it is quite baffling, but I mean, that's the going rate for for the top players at the moment. It feels as though there's a very, very small, I'm going to say dating pool in terms of uh, the top quality players because it just seems like every club is fighting for the same ones now. There's not really a massive depth of talent so everyone's having to raise the prices because there's so much demand for these players now uh, and I think Ravinia you know he's, he's had two very good seasons I don't know if that warrants 60 to 65 million but they have to make signings in the forward areas because if they went into next season with what they have they would fall massively short especially since they've just lost Lukaku again Werner Zayec no output whatsoever. Sterling and Rafinha will easily add goals to that that forward line. But the main issue is they don't have a striker. I don't have belief in Havertz to be the guy who's going to be going through the middle, putting in 15, 20 goals a season. I still think that's a huge area that they're missing. Maybe Tuchel will play you know, Sterling in a false nine like Pep sometimes did or like he's done with Havertz. But I just I feel like that's what they're missing. And I don't know who they can go and get because there's such a shortage right now. Yeah, it's a great point. And also really good point as well about, you know, the lower end of the Premier League and how much players cost. But I suppose that brings into context a wider question of what is the value of Phillips and Rafinha to Leeds United, the way they play and how they get results. I suppose you can understand why there's a hefty 
price tag. The fee is £55 million initially, rising to 65 we think, with add-ons included, Steve. So who's getting the better deal, do you think? Chelsea, £65 million for Rafinha, or Leeds United? What do you reckon? I think Chelsea are probably getting a better deal. I think that £65 million, uh won't be enough to stop them getting relegated. You know, I think that you've got to protect your assets, really. And once you've had a season where you have escaped by the skin of your teeth, that's when you're batting the hatches down. And that's when you're trying to negotiate with these lads to give it another season with you. You know, so you can get a bit stronger that you can, you know, consolidate your position. Uh, whereas Leeds have just been, it feels like Leeds have just been trampled over, you know, this transfer window. Um, you know, where just people, have, you know, bigger clubs have gone in and gone, right, right, we're going to take your best two players off you and there's nothing you can do about it. And there's not been any of these protracted negotiations in it. You know, where, where you, you hear of teams digging in and it being a very complex, you know, situation where the two clubs are battling to get to a number that suits and a structure that suits it doesn't seem like anyone's had these issues with Leeds. It seems like they've gone in and said, well, we'll do this. And they've gone, well, yeah, all right. And and that's a worry as well. You know, you, you worry about the person that is sanctioning these moves and how must the manager be feeling? Jesse March is thinking, I've lost Phillips and I've lost Rafinha. What, you know, do I have that £110 million to spend first and foremost? Because my gut feeling is the club will say that some of it is going elsewhere. Um I just think it's a really difficult situation, and I and I think you know the smart money would be on Leeds to go down at this stage. What do you reckon, Joel? I think maybe it's a little bit too early to, to suggest who might go down, but then again, it's only sort of four and a half weeks until the start of the season. I know there's loads of transfer business still yet to be done, but do you think that going down is something that Leeds should be worried about at this stage? I'm just interested to see how they reinvest the money because obviously we've seen them buy two former players that played under uh, Jesse Marsh and I'm just wondering how well they can recruit now that he's the manager because under Bielsa obviously you know Rafinha was signed under him um, a number of their really talented players who've either stayed or moved on have, have signed under him um, so it's all about how they can reinvest but it's not easy because 110 million has bought two of their best players and if they're going to reinvest that cash it's probably going to have to be for players who are still kind of raw gems that they need to bring out a little bit because not many players or the top top players will want to join Leeds right now for a you know 50 million pound purchase it's, it's just not going to happen uh, so I would say as of right now they are definitely in danger and I'd say that's more so because Rafinha is leaving uh, as we saw last season, Calvin Phillips barely featured, whereas Rafinha was their kind of their messiah, leading them to safety, and they were he was able to get the goals that was needed to actually keep them up. Whereas next season, they're without that player, they would hope that Bamford can reach that form two seasons ago and come back fit and strong and try and you know get a bit of a renaissance in the side. But right now, they need to fill two massively huge holes in their squad, and I don't have the believe that they can really do that to the level that the, of the players that they've just let go so for me at the moment yeah that they're in huge danger if they can't get the recruitment correct well it looks like Rafinha could be leaving Leeds and heading to Chelsea we'll keep you up to date with all of those transfers of course on the podcast every Monday Wednesday and Friday hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it we'll do a bit of a roundup next on Football Social Daily there's been a departure from Liverpool a possible loan exit for a Manchester City player and possibly a new arrival at Tottenham as well someone making a Premier League switch we'll go through it all next after this on Football Social Daily 
Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Final part of today's podcast. I'm Niall. I've got Steve and Joel with me. And Steve is a big Liverpool supporter. He was at the Champions League final. He's watched his side over the last few years be really successful. And someone who's played a part in that, albeit a very small one, has now left Liverpool Football Club for around £16 million. He's joined Monaco in French Ligue 1, and that is Takumi Minamino. His statistics, Steve, 14 goals in 55 games. Another statistic is that Liverpool have doubled their profit on him following signing him for seven million two years ago. He's now gone for 16. What are your thoughts on his departure? I think it's good for him. I think the departure suits him more than it suits Liverpool because he is too good to be featuring in you know 11 Premier League games, mostly as substitute across the season, nine the season before, 10 the season before that. I think that he is he's someone who deserves a run in a, in a team because he's got qualities that that he can bring and he'll get that at Monaco whereas you know Liverpool you know at the top end of the, of the table and challenging for all the big honors it's very difficult for someone like Takumi to break into that team and stake a claim to starting all the time and it's got to the point where Jurgen is very fair with his players and he sat down with, with, with Takumi Minamino and said, listen, you are too good not to be getting games. For the sake of your own career, I think you should you know, you know, should move on, which I kind of I quite like that. I think the fact that he's not stockpiled him, that he doesn't want to hold him back in any way, shape or form. He said to him, I advise you to go and play football because you're, you're a wonderful footballer. I think Monaco is a good, good move for him. I think that that league is a good level for him. I think he will do very well in that league if he, you know if he's played up top. Um and we wish him well. You know so he's a, he's a really nice kid. Um you know not he's never complained once about his lack of game time. He's he's won a lot of medals at Liverpool as well. Um you know he's won the Premier League at Liverpool. He's won the he's won the Club World Cup. He's won the Super Cup. He's won the FA Cup Carabao Cup and you know, so he's done really well at Liverpool, and I think he can look back at that two years and go, you know what, I won a lot of medals while he was there, and he goes with everyone's best wishes because he's he's a, he's a very good footballer, and he will prove that at Monaco. Yeah, I mean, you say that he was too good to play that few games for Liverpool. Was it just a case though that he wasn't quite good enough to edge in ahead of the likes of Salah, Mane, who's now gone, Firmino? Luis Diaz comes in, Jota comes in. I'd say they're all better players than Minamino. That doesn't mean Minamino's a poor player by any stretch. It just feels that maybe the levels at Liverpool were were just a little bit too much for him to try and crack through. Yeah, I think the step up was massive, probably a lot more than he anticipated because the level of the Liverpool team and and the way that Jurgen has them training is probably, he probably thought, mm, he's not going to be able to kind of cut at this lad and... You know, we'll bring him on as an impact player, which which they did successfully. You know, when he come on as substitute and he he get in amongst it, and you know, in the FA Cup and Carabao Cup last season, his his goals were vital to us winning that. You know, I think he went through a run of scoring in every round, didn't he? And you know, he's um, yeah. All we can do is pass thanks to him because he's he's been a tremendous player for Liverpool in the role that he's had. You know, it's the problem is with Liverpool, unless there's a formation change like there's probably going to be next season, it's very difficult for someone to come in and, and immediately stake a claim. I think Luis Diaz has surprised everyone at how quick he's hit the ground running at Liverpool. And 
the performances he put in from January to the end of the season were just incredible for Liverpool, I think. You know, we've signed Darwin Nunes as well for 64 million quid. You'd expect him to be starting as a as a you know number nine most games next season. So I think it's players like that coming in that are going to get the runs in the team. I think Liverpool will go 4-2-3-1 next season. I think they will, you know, there'll be a minor tweak to that formation to accommodate Darwin Nunes. And it makes it really difficult for players like Takumi Minamino to get a run in the team. Yeah, that's interesting. Minamino's left Liverpool, though, 16 million quid to Monaco. He departs along with Divock Origi, who I think is having a medical at AC Milan uh, today, actually. So that's expected to be announced, but, but Origi's definitely left the club. So, you know, we know that Nunez has come in, as Steve says, Luis Diaz and Jota in recent uh, windows uh, to kind of fill those spots as, as players depart. Two, another player who's set to leave another top club is Zach Steffen, the goalkeeper, the American goalkeeper, who's currently second choice behind Edison at the Etihad Stadium. He's going to sign for Middlesbrough, who are currently managed by former Sheffield United boss Chris Wilder. That'll be a loan deal. It's quite clear, Joel, that he's City's second choice behind Edison, and I think it's going to be really difficult for him to try and break through. But he had a real wobble when he was given an opportunity in the FA Cup semi-final last season. We know goalkeepers make mistakes, they always do. It's kind of part of the learning process. But considering Gavin Bazunu, the young Irish keeper, has now left Manchester City for Southampton, it's almost certain that he's going to be number two next season, no matter what he does at Manchester City. He wants regular football. He's 27 years of age. He is someone who kind of needs to go out, I think, and get some experience because that mistake he made in the cup semi-final last season, I think, was probably just down to a lack of game time. So do you think a championship move is a good fit for him? Yeah, maybe in terms of just roughing him up a little bit because yeah. as we've seen with a lot of the second goalkeepers, especially for City, I remember when Claudio Bravo was their second choice and at times he just looked so flimsy in that in that uh, number one role whenever he was called upon because obviously with these top teams, you know, you've got Edison and Allison and all the rest of them, they rarely, rarely miss games, but when they do... You need a, a number two goalkeeper who's going to be as consistent. Just consistency, that's all you want. You don't want anyone who's going to begin to incite a little bit of nervousness around the defence where they feel, oh my God, we have to actually really tuck in and start to uh, help him a little bit because at the moment that happens, I mean, look at City and Liverpool last season. There was barely any points in the title race. Um so these keepers can pretty much dictate what goes on in a title race and they will be called upon. So I think Pep will, as we've seen in previous summers, he's pretty ruthless when it comes to his goalkeepers, as he saw with when he first joined and Joe Hart was gone straight away. Um, then he signed Claudio Bravo and then he was gone pretty soon after because he didn't trust him. Um, so if Pep's seen that he doesn't trust in a second goalkeeper, he'll get rid of him pretty quickly. And I think he'll bring someone in who he can trust, especially with the ball at his feet, because I think one of the errors was when he kicked it, didn't he? And then, the, the uh, was it one of the players blocked it and it went in? Yeah, Mane just charged him down, didn't he? And it, it went in. He just dillied on the ball a little bit too long and you wouldn't have got that with Edison or at least you would have got Edison executing that. Yeah, yeah, exactly better. that. And that's so uncharacteristic for a pet player, isn't it? Especially for a goalkeeper, so... I'd be surprised if they didn't try and bring someone in who fits around his mould a little bit. But yeah, like I say, I think it's just so important that they have number two keepers who don't bring nervousness to the side because he could have a, a string of games which stretches a month. And in that month, they could lose 
everything if it's all up to him. So yeah, I think it, it's probably a even though it's not a major what issue right now, it could become one in the future. Yeah, I mean, number two goalkeepers in a top team is become a really interesting position because back in the day, Steve, it was a case of you just came in and did your job, booted the ball long, saved a few shots. Now you need to be capable when called upon, and whether that's Quivin Kelleher at Liverpool or Zach Stefan at Manchester City, I almost feel that nowadays being a, a second-choice goalkeeper, there's a lot more required from you, as Joel says. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know Joel made some excellent points there about the second goalkeeper has got to fit the system, haven't they? And I think we, you know, we've quite lucky with that in in our respect because. When Cueven Keller has come in at Liverpool, he's performed really well. I mean, he's been a hero in a penalty shootout in a cup final. But, you know, so he gets the system and he can play the system when, when called upon. Whereas I think Stefan, as, as we've seen at the FA Cup semi-final, he can't do it. And that doesn't suit Man City and it doesn't suit Pep in, in particular. And I think they're the big tests you've got to pass, haven't they? Is when you're at a big football club, is that when you come in for Edison, who's, you know, arguably... You know, depend on where your beliefs are. The best or second goalkeeper in the world. You know, um, it, there was a very sharp disparity in quality. You know, when when Stefan was on the pitch in in them that FA Cup game, and I think Pep, like Joel said, is is not one to kind of linger on that. He will just go right. I'm going to be decisive on that, and I'm going to going to deal with that situation. I think Zach Stefan. If it, I think if Zach Stefan goes to Middlesbrough on loan, I think his Man City career is done. I think that I, I can't see a way back for him in that and the championship may be a good level for him next season I'm not saying that he's at that level permanently but it might be he can be a big player in that league and build it, build his confidence and, and develop his game certainly from playing out from the back because you know Man City and, and Liverpool I've got that playing out from the back to nail to a tee haven't they and you know and I think that um, you know he, he's got a lot of work to get back in to Pep Guardiola's thoughts. I, th- I think, like Joel said, they'll go out and get a number two that could, that can do it. So Zach Steffen set to sign for Middlesbrough on loan, as we say, he's second choice behind Edison at Manchester City, but looks like he could be spending next season in the Championship. One player who could have been in the Championship last season had his side not dramatically avoided relegation is Richarlison. Let's be honest though, if he had got relegated with Everton, he would have left the club anyway. He's expected to leave this summer no matter what. Tottenham looks like the most interested party I mean he's a player who really splits opinion Steve amongst neutral <laughs> Premier League fans some people love him and some people hate him he's a bit of a Marmite Premier League footballer do you think that that is is reflected in the fact that he departs Everton and some fans are like I don't want him anywhere near my club and others are like oh Richarlison's decent I'll take him oh I, I can't stand him <laughs> as, as you know I genuinely can't stand him I think he's. I can't swear on the podcast because I appreciate we're a family show, <laughs> uh, you know. So I can't say what I really think. He is horrible, and I think you know what the mad thing is with Richarlison. I actually don't think he's that good. If if I'm being completely honest, I think the figure getting knocked around is like what fifty five, sixty million quid for him, something like that. I just, I don't you know. I'm looking at his his return. Uh, 10 goals in the Premier League last season. Seven the season before. Thirteen the season before that. EFL Cup three goals this season two goals that you know they're not stats that are light in the world up are they you know he played you know the vast majority of games for Everton ten goals is nowhere near you know as much as a return as you'd expect from someone who really fancies himself um, I mean he got as many yellow cards as is he got goals last season you know so it's just 
I just don't see what the hype is behind him. I really think that Tottenham can spend 60 million quid. I mean, you try and get better Dembele in from Barcelona and pay the 60 million on wages, get him on a free, you know what I mean? Um, you, you try and do that deal because I think Dembele is a, is, is a better player than Richarlison by some way. And Dembele can play out wide as well. So I think that, um, yeah, I think Steve, it's... Do you not think he would go I, up a level though under Conte? Because he's been under a pretty poor Everton side for the last few years. I think it's a good point, mate. But I just think that the player's attitude is that questionable. I think that when he's pushed and pushed, because Conte would take him to levels he's never been before in training. Because Conte doesn't mess he'll about He'll bomb him out as well if his attitude isn't right. Yeah, mm. yeah, he'll just kind of, you know, and I just think that, um, you know, he has got a questionable attitude. And I actually can't see how Richarlison gets into that Tottenham team anyway, because who are you going to play him instead of? Instead of Kane? No. Instead of Son? Not a chance. You know, so he is going to spend a lot of time on the bench at Tottenham. And I think, you know, how would that, how would he react to that? And with a questionable attitude, I think, I think the guy's toxic. And if I was Tottenham, I would avoid that deal at all costs, but they'll probably do it. Do you think that he's done all he can at Everton anyway? I mean, Steve's not been shy in his thoughts on, on Richarlison, but regardless of whether you enjoy him or you don't like him so much, he kind of has has forged his career I suppose he came to the Premier League first with Watford signed for Everton pretty quickly I think after just one season and quickly became a a real fan's favourite at Goodison Park got himself into the Brazil national team I think he starts a fair few games for Brazil as well so do you think in terms of of what he's achieved at Everton which isn't anything in terms of tangible silverware but has he done all he can there, George? Do you think the time's right for him to move on, particularly after how close Everton were to relegation last season? Yeah, I think for him in his career, it's definitely the right time to step up because I just don't see Everton going any great places anytime soon with the current situation. Um, and at his age, I think he's, what, 25, 26. It, it's quite interesting to me now how the likes of Leeds and Everton are happy to just let go of their talisman, especially on the back of a season where they were literally clinging on at the end of the year uh, but I don't know if that's a case of just cashing in while the stocks are super high and just trying to rebuild their squads because their owners just no longer trust in putting in millions and millions of pounds so they need to reinvest it um, I I like him into I do like the fact that he's got a bit of bite to his game I think he would suit a Conte side to a T because his sides are very very aggressive and like tenacious in the play and I think he would fit there the only thing I disagree with is his price tag is just so ridiculously high. Um, but then, like I say, I think the fact that he's scored that many goals in a pretty poor Everton side, which has been completely lacklustre, changing managers every five, every six to 12 months. There's been no continuity. The fans have been turning on the side and he still managed to produce to a decent level. I think that if he was to step up now and go under a new club, which is a little bit more settled, with an absolutely top class manager, um, I think he could. I could think he, they could turn him into something really special. I think he's got something about his game, but it remains to be seen just how much he can improve. I don't know if he's hit his ceiling already or if there is a massive amount of room to grow. But if he's in the Brazilian national side, I mean, it shows that he's got a little something to him. So I think it'll be a good signing. But like we mentioned at the start, sixty million feels like the base fee now for any decent player in the Premier League and that's just like like you mentioned Niall that's the value that he mm. is to Everton it's not his true value yes, and that's yeah. just what football is at the moment yeah I totally agree and just finally on this one there's one newspaper that I won't name that reported yesterday that Tottenham could spend 100 million pounds on a double deal for Richarlison and Anthony Gordon 
who's the young forward oh, player who came through the ranks and, and did play well actually at Everton last season. But that is, I don't know, I wouldn't say that's a sign of desperation from Tottenham. If Conte wants a player, then then Spurs should go out and get them. But Spurs have been so stringent in their transfer business and, and stingy even in recent seasons, Steve. Uh, it's something we've discussed so many times on the podcast. For them to then all of a sudden have £100 million to spend and go and spend it on these two players, that would be a surprise, wouldn't it? It would be a surprise because I think that, uh, you know, like I've said about Rich Allison, um, I, I think Anthony Gordon, has, if, they can, if he can cut the diving out of his game, because some of the dives that, that he put in last season were absolutely horrific when you're seeing him on the replays, he's got to cut that out of his game. And I think if he can cut that, that out of his game, very pacey, very skillful, um, I'm just, you know, what you're looking at then, if you're saying 100 million for the two, you're looking at potentially 40 million quid for Gordon. That that is lunacy. I'm sorry to say that is absolutely crazy money for him. I've not seen anything that that would. They paid forty for a Wobi yeah. Everton, so I suppose they need to make yeah. the money back there somehow. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 you know, it's not easy pickings. Is it's not a free for all. Tottenham aren't going to you know thoroughly have the pants pulled down for a player that isn't anywhere near that level of value. I mean, you've got to look at it and say, you know, Anthony Gordon last season did he do more than? Takumi Minamino did and I'm not, I'm not sure he did you know if you look at the two players when Takumi Minamino's just gone to Monaco for 16 million quid you know it's just I mean I might be being a bit biased on that and I'm sure I'll get some pelters for that but I just think if it is potentially 40 million for Anthony Gordon I think that is crazy that 40 million quid could be reinvested more smartly on two players for Spurs I think we know Everton need to balance their books that's really important for them so maybe that's what they're they're focusing on these big fees just because they need as much money as they can possibly get my thoughts are on Gordon if he goes to Tottenham there's a high chance that Conte could just try and turn him into a fullback because he's got energy he's happy to get up and down he's got a bit of pace um as much as he'd rather be playing higher up the pitch I mean I wouldn't be shocked if if you end up as a winger going to Tottenham at the moment, there is a, a likelihood that Antonio Conte could put his arm around you in the first training session and say, "Listen, lad, you're going to be playing wing back this season. We, you know, we need to work on this." So um, that's uh, that's the latest when it comes to to Everton and Tottenham, two clubs that might well be doing business between each other this summer. That is it, though, for today's episode of Football Social Daily. Loads of transfers to go through on today's episode. I'm sure we'll be in a similar position on Friday. Some of the ones we've discussed might already have been done. You can keep up to date with the show, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, whilst it's the off-season period. Before you know it, we'll be back in the full swing of the Premier League, where we will be daily. But for now, hit subscribe. That way you won't miss a thing. Thank you very much, Steve. Appreciate your time. And thank you, Joel, as well. And that is it from us. We'll catch you again next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.